Chapter Twelve of More New Arabian Nights: The Dynamiter by Robert Louis Stevenson and Fanny Vandegrift Stevenson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Don W. Jenkins. Chapter Twelve: The Brown Box Concluded. The effect of this tale on the mind of Harry Desborough was instant and convincing the fair cuban had been already the loveliest she now became in his eyes the most romantic the most innocent and the most unhappy of her sex he was bereft of words to utter what he felt what pity what admiration what youthful envy of a career so vivid and adventurous oh madam he began and finding no language adequate to that apostrophe caught up her hand and wrung it in his own count upon me he added with bewildered fervour and getting somehow or other out of the apartment and from the circle of that radiant sorceress he found himself in the strange out-of-doors beholding dull houses wondering at dull passers-by a fallen angel she had smiled upon him as he left and with how significant how beautiful a smile the memory lingered in his heart and when he found his way to a certain restaurant where music was performed flutes as it were of paradise accompanied his meal the strings went to the melody of that parting smile they paraphrased and glossed it in the sense that he desired and for the first time in his plain and somewhat dreary life he perceived himself to have a taste for music the next day and the next his meditations moved to that delectable air now he saw her and was favoured now saw her not at all now saw her and was put by the fall of her foot upon the stair entranced him the books that he sought out and read were books on cuba and spoke of her indirectly nay and in the very landlady's parlour he found one that told of precisely such a hurricane and down to the smallest detail confirmed had confirmation been required the truth of her recital presently he began to fall into that prettiest mood of a young love in which the lover scorns himself for his presumption who was he the dull one the commonplace unemployed the man without adventure the impure the untruthful to aspire to such a creature made of fire and air and hallowed and adorned by such incomparable passages of life what should he do to be more worthy by what devotion call down the notice of these eyes to so terrene a being as himself he betook himself thereupon to the rural privacy of the square where being a lad of a kind heart he had made himself a circle of acquaintances among its shy frequenters the half-domestic cats and the visitors that hung before the windows of the children's hospital there he walked considering the depth of his demerit and the height of the adored one's super-excellence now lighting upon earth to say a pleasant word to the brother of some infant invalid now with a great heave of breath remembering the queen of women and the sunshine of his life what was he to do teresa he had observed was in the habit of leaving the house towards afternoon she might perchance run danger from some cuban emissary when the presence of a friend might turn the balance in her favour how then if he should follow her to offer his company would seem like an intrusion to dog her openly were a manifest impertinence 
he saw himself reduced to a more stealthy part which though in some ways distasteful to his mind he did not doubt that he could practice with the skill of a detective the next day he proceeded to put his plan in action at the corner of tottenham court road however the senorita suddenly turned back and met him face to face with every mark of pleasure and surprise ah senor i am sometimes fortunate she cried i was looking for a messenger and with the sweetest of smiles she dispatched him to the east end of london to an address which he was unable to find this was a bitter pill to the knight-errant but when he returned at night worn out with fruitless wandering and dismayed by his fiasco the lady received him with a friendly gaiety protesting that all was for the best since she had changed her mind and long since repented of her message next day he resumed his labours glowing with pity and courage and determined to protect teresa with his life but a painful shock awaited him in the narrow and silent hanway street she turned suddenly about and addressed him with a manner and a light in her eyes that were new to the young man's experience do i understand that you follow me senor she cried are these the manners of the english gentleman harry confounded himself in the most abject apologies and prayers to be forgiven vowed to offend no more and was at length dismissed crestfallen and heavy of heart the check was final he gave up that road to service and began once more to hang about the square or on the terrace filled with remorse and love admirable and idiotic a fit object for the scorn and envy of older men in these idle hours while he was courting fortune for a sight of the beloved it fell out naturally that he should observe the manners and appearance of such as came about the house one person alone was the occasional visitor of the young lady a man of considerable stature and distinguished only by the doubtful ornament of a chin-beard in the style of an american deacon something in his appearance grated upon harry this distaste grew upon him in the course of days and when at length he mustered courage to inquire of the fair cuban who this was he was yet more dismayed by her reply that gentleman said she a smile struggling to her face that gentleman i will not attempt to conceal from you desires my hand in marriage and presses me with the most respectful ardour alas what am i to say i the forlorn teresa how shall i refuse or accept such protestations harry feared to say more a horrid pang of jealousy transfixed him and he had scarce the strength of mind to take his leave with decency in the solitude of his own chamber he gave way to every manifestation of despair he passionately adored the senorita but it was not only the thought of her possible union with another that distressed his soul it was the indefeasible conviction that her suitor was unworthy to a duke a bishop a victorious general or any man adorned with obvious qualities he had resigned her with a sort of bitter joy he saw himself follow the wedding party from a great way off he saw himself return to the poor house then robbed of its jewel and while he could have wept for his despair he felt he could support it nobly but this affair looked otherwise the man was patently no gentleman he had a startled skulking guilty bearing his nails were black his eyes evasive his love perhaps was a pretext he was perhaps under this deep disguise a cuban emissary harry swore that he would satisfy these doubts and the next evening about the hour of the usual visit he posted himself at a spot whence his eye commanded the three issues of the square 
Presently after, a four-wheeler rumbled to the door, and the man with the chin-beard alighted, paid off the cabman, and was seen by Harry to enter the house with a brown box hoisted on his back. Half an hour later he came forth again without the box, and struck eastward at a rapid walk, and Desborough, with the same skill and caution that he had displayed in following Teresa, proceeded to dog the steps of her admirer. The man began to loiter, studying with apparent interest the wares of the small fruiterer, or tobacconist. Twice he returned hurriedly upon his former course, and then, as though he had suddenly conquered a moment's hesitation, once more set forth with resolute and swift steps in the direction of Lincoln's Inn. At length, in a deserted by-street, he turned, and coming up to Harry with a countenance which seemed to have become older and whiter, inquired with some severity of speech if he had not had the pleasure of seeing the gentleman before. "'You have, sir,' said Harry, somewhat abashed, but with a good show of stoutness, "'and I will not deny that I was following you on purpose. Doubtless,' he added, for he supposed that all men's minds must still be running on Teresa, "'you can divine my reason.' At these words the man with the chin-beard was seized with a palsied tremor. He seemed for some seconds to seek the utterance which his fear denied him, and then, whipping sharply about, he took to his heels at the most furious speed of running. Harry was at first so taken aback that he neglected to pursue, and by the time he had recovered his wits his best expedition was only rewarded by a glimpse of the man with the chin-beard mounting into a hansom, which immediately after disappeared into the moving crowds of Holborn. Puzzled and dismayed by this unusual behaviour, Harry returned to the house in Queen Square, and ventured for the first time to knock at the fair Cuban's door. She bade him enter, and he found her kneeling with rather a disconsolate air beside a brown wooden trunk. "'Senorita,' he broke out, "'I doubt whether that man's character is what he wishes you to believe. His manner, when he found, and indeed when I admitted that I was following him, was not the manner of an honest man.' "'Oh!' she cried, throwing up her hands as in desperation. Don Quixote, Don Quixote, have you again been tilting against windmills? And then, with a laugh, Poor soul, she added, how you must have terrified him! For know that the Cuban authorities are here, and your poor Teresa may soon be hunted down. Even yon humble clerk from my solicitor's office may find himself at any moment the quarry of armed spies. A humble clerk? cried Harry. Why, you told me yourself that he wished to marry you i thought you english like what you call a joke replied the lady calmly as a matter of fact he is my lawyer's clerk and has been here to-night charged with disastrous news i am in sore straits senor harry will you help me at this most welcome word the young man's heart exulted and in the hope pride and self-esteem that kindled with the very thought of service he forgot to dwell upon the lady's jest can you ask he cried what is there that i can do only tell me that with signs of an emotion that was certainly unfeigned the fair cuban laid her hand upon the box this box she said contains my jewels papers and clothes all in a word that still connects me with cuba and my dreadful past they must now be smuggled out of england or by the opinion of my lawyer i am lost beyond remedy to-morrow on board the irish packet a sure hand awaits the box the problem still unsolved is to find someone to carry it as far as holyhead to see it placed on board the steamer and instantly return to town will you be he will you leave to-morrow by the first train 
punctually obey orders bear still in mind that you are surrounded by cuban spies and without so much as a look behind you or a single movement to betray your interest leave the box where you have put it and come straight on shore will you do this and so save your friend i do not clearly understand began harry no more do i replied the cuban it is not necessary that we should so long as we obey the lawyer's orders senorita returned harry gravely i think this of course a very little thing to do for you when i would willingly do all but suffer me to say one word if london is unsafe for your treasures it cannot long be safe for you and indeed if i at all fathom the plan of your solicitor i fear i may find you already fled on my return i am not considered clever and can only speak out plainly what is in my heart that i love you and that i cannot bear to lose all knowledge of you i hope no more than to be your servant i ask no more than just that i shall hear of you oh promise me so much you shall she said after a pause i promise you shall but though she spoke with earnestness the marks of great embarrassment and a strong conflict of emotions appeared upon her face i wish to tell you resumed desborough in case of accidents accidents she cried why do you say that i do not know said he you may be gone before my return and we may not meet again for long and so i wished you to know this that since the day you gave me the cigarette you have never once not once been absent from my mind and if it will in any way serve you you may crumple me up like that piece of paper and throw me on the fire i would love to die for you go she said go now at once my brain is in a whirl i scarce know what we are talking go and good-night and oh may you come safe once back in his own room a fearful joy possessed the young man's mind and as he recalled her face struck suddenly white and the broken utterance of her last words his heart at once exulted and misgave him love had indeed looked upon him with a tragic mask and yet what mattered since at least it was love since at least she was commoved at their division he got to bed with these particoloured thoughts passed from one dream to another all night long the white face of teresa still haunting him wrung with unspoken thoughts and in the grey of the dawn leaped suddenly out of bed in a kind of horror it was already time for him to rise he dressed made his breakfast on cold food that had been laid for him the night before and went down to the room of his idol for the box the door was open a strange disorder reigned within the furniture all pushed aside and the centre of the room left bare of impediment as though for the placing of a creature with a tortured mind there lay the box however and upon the lid a paper with these words harry i hope to be back before you go teresa he sat down to wait laying his watch before him on the table she had called him harry that should be enough he thought to fill the day with sunshine and yet somehow the sight of that disordered room still poisoned his enjoyment the door of the bedchamber stood gaping open and though he turned aside his eyes as from a sacrilege he could not but observe the bed had not been slept in he was still pondering what this should mean still trying to convince himself that all was well when the moving needle of his watch summoned him to set forth without delay he was before all things a man of his word ran round to southampton row to fetch a cab and taking the box on the front seat drove off towards the terminus the streets were scarcely awake there was little to amuse the eye and the young man's attention centred on the dumb companion of his drive 
a card was nailed upon one side bearing the superscription miss doolan passenger to dublin glass with care he thought with a sentimental shock that the fair idol of his heart was perhaps driven to adopt the name of doolan and as he still studied the card he was aware of a deadly black depression settling steadily upon his spirits it was in vain for him to contend against the tide in vain that he shook himself or tried to whistle the sense of some impending blow was not to be averted he looked out in the long empty streets the cab pursued its way without a trace of any follower he gave ear and over and above the jolting of the wheels upon the road he was conscious of a certain regular and quiet sound that seemed to issue from the box he put his ear to the cover at one moment he seemed to perceive a delicate ticking the next the sound was gone nor could his closest hearkening recapture it he laughed at himself but still the gloom continued and it was with more than the common relief of an arrival that he leaped from the cab before the station probably enough on purpose teresa had named an hour some thirty minutes earlier than needful and when harry had given the box into the charge of a porter who sat it on a truck he proceeded briskly to pace the platform presently the book stall opened and the young man was looking at the books when he was seized by the arm he turned and though she was closely veiled at once recognized the fair cuban where is it she asked and the sound of her voice surprised him it he said what the box have it put in a cab instantly i am in fearful haste he hurried to obey marvelling at these changes but not daring to trouble her with questions and when the cab had been brought round and the box mounted on the front she passed a little way off upon the pavement and beckoned him to follow now said she still in those mechanical and hushed tones that had at first affected him you must go on to hollyhead alone go on board the steamer and if you see a man in tartan trousers and a pink scarf say to him that all has been put off if not she added with a sobbing sigh it does not matter so good-bye theresa said harry get into your cab and i will go along with you you're in some distress perhaps in some danger until i know the whole not even you can make me leave you you will not she asked oh harry it were better i will not said harry stoutly she looked at him for a moment through her veil took his hand suddenly and sharply but more as if in fear than tenderness and still holding him walked to the cab door where are we to drive asked harry home quickly she answered double fare and as soon as they had both mounted to their places the vehicle crazily trundled from the station teresa leaned back in a corner the whole way terry could perceive her tears to flow under her veil but she vouchsafed no explanation at the door of the house in queen square both alighted and the cabman lowered the box which harry glad to display his strength received upon his shoulders let the man take it she whispered let the man take it i will do no such thing said harry cheerfully and having paid the fare he followed teresa through the door which she had opened with her key the landlady and maid were gone upon their morning errands the house was empty and still and as the rattling of the cab died away down gloucester street and harry continued to ascend the stair with his burthen he heard close against his shoulders the same faint and muffled ticking as before the lady still preceding him opened the door of her room and helped him to lower the box tenderly in the corner by the window and now said harry what is wrong you will not go away 
she cried with a sudden break in her voice and beating her hands together in the very agony of impatience oh harry harry go away oh go and leave me to the fate that i deserve the fate repeated harry what is this no fate she resumed i do not know what i am saying but i wish to be alone you may come back this evening harry come again when you like but leave me now only leave me now and then suddenly i have an errand she exclaimed you cannot refuse me that no replied harry you have no errand you are in grief or danger lift your veil and tell me what it is then she said with a sudden composure you leave but one course open to me and raising the veil she showed him a countenance from which every trace of colour had fled eyes marred with weeping and a brow on which resolve had conquered fear harry she began i am not what i seem you've told me that before said harry several times oh harry harry she cried how you shame me but this is the god's truth i am a dangerous and wicked girl my name is clara luxmore i was never nearer cuba than penzance from first to last i have cheated and played with you and what i am i dare not even name to you in words indeed until to-day until the sleepless watches of last night i never grasped the depth and foulness of my guilt the young man looked upon her aghast then a generous current poured along his veins that is all one he said if you be all you say you have the greater need of me is it possible she exclaimed that i have schemed in vain and will nothing drive you from this house of death of death he echoed death she cried death in that box that you have dragged about london and carried on your defenceless shoulders sleep at the trigger's mercy the destroying energies of dynamite my god cried harry ah she continued wildly will you flee now at any moment you may hear the click that sounds the ruin of this building i was sure mcguire was wrong this morning before day i flew to zero he confirmed my fears i beheld you my beloved harry fall a victim to my own contrivances i knew then i loved you harry will you go now will you not spare me this unwilling crime harry remained speechless his eyes fixed upon the box at last he turned to her is it he asked hoarsely an infernal machine her lips formed the words yes which her voice refused to utter with fearful curiosity he drew near and bent above the box in that still chamber the ticking was distinctly audible and at the measured sound the blood flowed back upon his heart from whom he asked what matters it she cried seizing him by the arm if you may still be saved what matter questions god in heaven cried harry and the children's hospital at whatever cost this damned contrivance must be stopped it cannot she gasped the power of man cannot avert the blow but you harry my beloved you may still and then from the box that lay so quietly in the corner a sudden catch was audible like the catch of a clock before it strikes the hour for one second the two stared at each other with lifted brows and stony eyes then harry throwing one arm over his face with the other clutched the girl to his breast and staggered against the wall a dull and startling thud resounded through the room their eyes blinked against the coming horror and still clinging together like drowning people they fell to the floor then followed a prolonged and strident hissing as from the indignant pit an offensive stench seized them by the throat the room was filled with dense and choking fumes 
presently these began to disperse and when at length they drew themselves all limp and shaken to a sitting posture the first object that greeted their vision was the box reposing uninjured in its corner but still leaking little wreaths of vapour round the lid oh poor zero cried the girl with a strange sobbing laugh alas poor zero this will break his heart end of chapter twelve read by don w jenkins rancho san diego california shaggybark.blogspot.com